the God who calls us to step out in faith. You are the God who calls us to trust you when our path is uncertain. Father, as John shares your word with us this morning, we pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you would build us up, lift us up, remind us of your truth and your goodness and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm John Otley. Uh, I, hey, Anna, good to see you. Uh, Kathleen and I, Kathleen's sitting right over here, are known to a lot of you, not all of you, because we served at Cornerstone Community Church before the merge uh, for 13 years, from 1998 to 2011. And we have just moved back uh, here to Des Moines from Memphis, Tennessee, where I was serving uh, at a church down there. And we have moved back primarily uh, to live in proximity to uh, three daughters and five grandkids, five of six. Number six lives in California. And uh, we are currently jobless and homeless. And so I'm not kidding. And um, I need this message. Mm, I'm preaching this to me. If you get anything out of it, then that's great. But uh, this is one of the texts that has been very helpful to Kathleen and me during a period of several months uh, where we have felt like uh, we're walking into the fog. I, I have said to so many people, we, we feel like we're on a roller coaster in the fog. Uh, there are encouragements and discouragements and a ton of uncertainty, but we also know that God is with us. So kind of the subtitle, I, I tried to come up with a more uh, applicable title to more people who are not currently in chaos or crisis, uh, but uh, for, for us, it's uh, uh, riding the roller coaster into the fog with God. Now, uh, the text that I'm going to preach on this morning comes from the book of Proverbs. It is a text that has, meant, has been relevant to me for 45 years. Uh, when I was a little kid, I colored a picture, not so little, uh, I had these colored pencils. I, I colored a picture of a little kid pulling a wagon on a white background, and under that picture of that kid by himself pulling a wagon, I wrote this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And a few years ago, for Christmas, my daughter, uh, in her poverty, uh, wanted to make me a present, totally legitimate, and she asked me, hey, give me a Bible verse, and I gave her this verse. So this is not an abstract comment for me. This is not just, you know, a sermon that I pulled out of a can because you guys needed somebody to stand up here. Uh, this is deeply relevant for my wife and I, and I, I think that it will be relevant for you as well. Now, uh, and the reason, one of the reasons I picked it, there are two or three that I was thinking about preaching on, this, this has the least context, so I can get into it relatively quickly because this is kind of a one-off thing uh, between me and, and you guys this morning. So, but having said that, it is a text from Proverbs in the Old Testament, and one of my big passions is for people like us to be able to read the Bible well, which is to get out of it what God put into it. And what God put into Scripture is this big story about His redemption 
His creation of a people through His Son, Jesus. And there are two or three verses in the New Testament where Jesus says, this Bible, it's all about me. Uh, if you're, you know, you, you may want to talk about sometime, but Jesus Christ is the interpretive north star of the Bible. If you're making sense out of any passage of Scripture, we talked about David and Goliath in the first service, if you're making any sense of any passage and you're not talking about who Jesus Christ is and what He did on the cross and how He rose again on the third day out of an empty tomb, you're not understanding it the way it was intended to be written. Huh, you want to argue with me. Okay, I see that. I see that on some of your faces. I'm kidding. Uh, but, but in the background, my, my grounding text, my interpretive frame for this message that I'm getting ready to give you from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's verse 30, where Paul to the Corinthians says, Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness holiness and redemption so I'm gonna preach this text you probably you might have it on a coffee cup you might have it on a bumper sticker you might have it love you know beautifully framed in your house but but I want us all to understand that this text as the entire book of Proverbs is pointing to one who is greater than Solomon one who is more wise than Solomon one whom, if we are not in relationship with Him, speaking of Jesus Christ here, we don't have the wisdom of God as smart and as slick and as confident as we may be. The book of Proverbs is a bunch of collections of carefully organized poems. There are 930 sayings in this book, and most of them are in little pairs. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Line 1 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Line 2 says, and lean not on your own understanding. Little pairs. Uh, if you would go into an Orvis store as a trout fisherman looking for some flies, you would see these entire shelves of flies for fly fishing. And there are dry flies and wet flies and nymphs and spinners. But every single one of those flies has a part for the fisherman to tie his line onto and another part for the fish. And all of these proverbs have wisdom from God designed to, just like those flies, be an appealing appetizer to people like us that we might find ourselves desiring Christ, who is the wisdom of God. Okay, did you find Proverbs 3? You're in Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, in my NIV, they said you guys use the ESV or the NIV. I, I have this NIV here. Uh, and in my Bible, this section is called Benefits of Wisdom. Further Benefits of Wisdom. This section in Proverbs... Uh, is a series of lectures from a father to his son. Loving lectures. Picture a father inviting, you know, a 
13, 12, 14-year-old son just for a father and son weekend, and the dad has the agenda of giving this son a lot of information about life, pouring his heart out for this son. Now, as you hear me saying, this is loving, a loving lecture from a father to his son, you might think about the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray beginning with our Father. So you may hear your heavenly Father addressing you this morning as a son or a daughter, uh, right where you are with your stories and your issues and your questions and your uncertainty and your confusion, because that's exactly what the Holy Spirit may want to do. All right, so here in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, just looking at this here for a moment, maybe in your Bible, I don't know if it's divided up or not, but mine is divided up into six stanzas of four lines, six little verses. Like if you were reading a poem, right, a poem has a verse, it has a stanza, and that's what we have here in Proverbs chapter 3. And then, beginning in verse 13 through verse 18, look at what it says. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. If you hear that well, if you read that well, you're going to say to yourself, I am blessed if I find Christ. I am blessed if I can connect the dots between the cross or the cross, whichever one you want to look at, and the empty tomb, and this text, and my life here today. All right? Blessed are we if we hear the Lord Jesus pouring His heart out to us uh, to give us some encouragement. All right, I want to read the text, and then I want to talk about verse 5 and 6. You're here. I'm here. God is here. God says He's personal, living, and present and this is his word my son do not forget my teaching but keep my commands in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity let love and faithfulness never leave you bind them around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent His rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those He loves. As a father, the son He delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. Now, like a fly in that Orvis shop, those flies are skillfully composed, meticulously crafted, with all kinds of detail. 
They're, they're a wonder to behold. And if anybody in here ties your own flies, you know that, that they're all intricate and beautiful. And every one of these Proverbs is just like that. If you were reading this in the language that Solomon wrote in, you would see repetitions that would lead you into emphases and, and all this kind of stuff. As I was reading this, you may have seen that these little four-line stanzas contain an admonition, like an exhortation. Like, this is your part. You need to do this. And then after the admonition, there's motivation. There's explanation. So we do this in order that we have our part and God has His part. And that's what we have in chapter, uh, in verses 5 and 6. Our part is to trust in the Lord. His part, verse 6b, is to make our paths straight. You see that? You can look at every single one of these stanzas. God does His part uh, to bless us at the end of the stanza. We do our part to obey at the beginning of the stanza. Okay, now, uh, this is not a hard verse to understand. This text is not so hard to understand. But it is really hard to put into practice. Do you ever feel like you're in the fog? Or worse, riding a roller coaster in the fog? You can't see well. You're not sure where you're heading. It can be disorienting being in the fog. It can be scary like riding in heavy traffic with an inexperienced driver, like your 15-year-old just learning how to drive, or flying in turbulence. Life has a way of rolling over us like a San Francisco fog. Parenting can feel kind of foggy at times. Uh, one guy I knew looked to his daughter, who was now a young teenager, and he would often say, "'Who are you, and what have you done with my child?' Uh, what, what happened to that lovely little complacent, compliant girl that delighted in doing her father's every whim? Who are you? Parenting can be kind of foggy. People say, you know, little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems, right? Some of the people in here with gray hair, some of the people in here with no hair. Yeah. Marriage can feel foggy at times. We wake up a decade into marriage and we ask ourselves, who is this person? How did we get here? There's a guy that Kathleen and I like called Paul Tripp. And he wrote a book on marriage called, What Did You Expect? I like to call it, What Were You Thinking? Uh, marriage can feel foggy. Uh, what about the young teenager who's living in this upside-down world of ours? She's uncertain of her very identity as a person. How does she see herself? In what way does she refer to herself? Does she create her own identity? Does the culture create her identity? Or is her identity baked into her by a personal creator? This text, friends, is relevant in a lot of ways. You won't, maybe all of you know the name Margaret Clarkson and Don Elifritz, but toward the end of their lives, both of these people, to me, used the exact same phrase when they said, I never thought it would be like this. They're in the fog. 
They don't understand how they got there. There's a phrase for this clueless feeling. I haven't the foggiest, we say. What do we do when we're not sure what to do? How do we find our way in the fog? I'm serious when I say that Kathleen and I have been walking into the fog for months. And I want to share this scripture because it has helped and encouraged us. For a while, back in the day, Kathleen and I lived in a town called Sarnia, Ontario, Canada. Sarnia was right on Lake Huron. There were times when fog would you know, come into the town off the lake, and if you had the misfortune of being out in the water in that fog, it could be super uh, scary and maybe a little dangerous to find safe harbor in the midst of that fog. So what one group had done, the Sarnia Yacht Club, they had these lights And if you were out in the fog, but you could see the red light, or sorry, the green light on your left or port side, and the red light on your starboard, and the yellow light right in the middle, if you went in following those lights like that, you would find your way into safe harbor. So with that kind of metaphor in mind, I have three lights for you this morning from this text. Uh, This text talks about a concept a challenge, and a consequence. There's a big, big concept. It's a big Bible concept. If you're a Christian this morning, you've already grappled with this concept, but I want to say a couple of things about it this morning. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, you're also a sinner in need of a Savior. And so you're facing the same challenge, and there's a contrast. That's the second light. And If you embrace the concept and respond correctly to the challenge, you will find yourself enjoying the consequence at the end of this passage. Okay, so the first light, this big Bible concept. Do you see it in verse 5? Trust. Trust. Uh, We can find our way in the fog by trusting God. Now, trust, faith, Those are big, big Bible concepts. The word trust here means to rely on out of a sense of security, usually in the face of danger. Uh, During the break, we played this song by Bill Withers, Lean on me when you're not strong, I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on. We all need somebody to lean on, to trust is to rely on God to the point that you feel secure even when everything around you is insecure. But the interesting thing about this word trust, when it's used in the Old Testament, there's some ambivalence there. There's some danger in this word because a lot of times it is used of people who are trusting in the wrong things. They're relying on the wrong things. Things And we'll get to that in this second light when we think about this challenge here. Uh, But to trust in God is to rely on Him to the point that even in a scary situation, we feel safe. Now, again, if you know us, you know that we have a son, Graham, who lives in California, and he's a professional mountaineer. He's a rock climber, professional mountaineer. And as a result, he and I have had a lot of experiences outside uh, in Yosemite National Park because that's a lot of times that's where he does his work. One time, it's been a big ambition of mine uh, to climb Half Dome. 
heard a half dome that's out there in Yosemite? It's the icon for North Face. Uh, it's this giant dome. And uh, the, the normal way to get up it is called the cable route on the east side. And you climb these cables and get to the top. It takes you all day long. But, of course, my mountaineering rock climbing son took me up the west side. There's no cables. There's no stairs. It's just me and my son and a rope and a harness and a lot of exposure. And so on that climb, it's called the Snake Dike on the west side of Half Dome, you have what is called a hanging belay. A hanging belay is where the climber sets an anchor, and then you come up, the second guy comes up there, and I clip my harness to this anchor that he has built into the rock, and it's just me standing on the side of the dome, not leaning on anything, nothing beside me, no crack, no ledge. It's just me leaning back on this harness with nothing but air all around me. Now, let me tell you, the first time you do that, it's like super scary. It's like... Uh, it's super scary. But Graham says all the time, you have to trust the gear. That, that harness would hold 2,000 pounds. There could be an elephant up there hanging on that west side of Half Dome. It'd be a little tough for the lead climber to bring him up there, but uh, that, that rope and harness and anchor, it's going to hold me. So two or three pitches into this climb, I am finally able to lean back and let go and rely on that gear and enjoy the view. But I'm telling you, at the beginning, super scary. Super scary. Uh, we're supposed to have faith and trust. This is a big concept. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says, We're saved by faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. You can't know God. You cannot be in a relationship with God without this faith. So i got to stop as a preacher and ask this question. Even in a group of people, a lot of you, you know, you've been coming here for a long time. But I would ask you this question. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are you relying on? Have you constructed some elaborate self-salvation project so that you're behaving yourself and good enough so that you hope that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Or are you trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ who came from heaven, took a body, took your place on the cross, bore all of your sin, and offers you free and full and forever forgiveness, and you don't do a thing to earn it? Now, you might be here this morning and saying, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. My faith is in Him and Him alone. When I get to heaven, if God asks me why I should be there, I'm going to say, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here were it not for your son. Is that the kind of faith that you have? The gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ is for today. Not just yesterday when you first believed some of you have been believers for a long, 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 long time. I've been a believer for 50 years. I trusted Jesus as my Savior when I was 10. I'm 61 now. 
My faith wasn't just for then when I trusted Him. And my faith is not just when I die and go to be with God in heaven. I'm telling you, friends, I have to rely on God for today. And the gospel of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as my substitute and my Savior is real and relevant for me when I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing. Did I mention I was jobless and homeless? I am. We are. And that Savior is relevant to us today. Okay, that's the first light, trust. Okay, The second light here is uh, developed in 5a, 5b, and 5c. It's really kind of the main core of the idea. Trust in the Lord was the exhortation. It, it, it's, it's my part. It's what God wants from me. Now, remember I said the second light was a challenge. There's a contrast here. Do you see it? Trust in the Lord. Uh, the second line says, you don't see it in English, but it has that same word in. In your own understanding, do not trust. Do you, do you, do you hear what I'm saying? That Solomon, tying this crafty proverb, trust in the Lord. In your own understanding, do not trust. Using that same word in both times. So here's the contrast. Here's the challenge. Are you going to rely on God or are you going to rely on yourself? Yeah, I, I, I trusted God you know, to forgive me of my sins when I was a kid, but it's up to me now. I'm relying on myself. No, friends, the gospel, the Savior, uh, this faith is real and relevant for us in between salvation and heaven. We need to trust Him now, today, in, in our personal fog. Now, do you see this also? It doesn't just say trust, does it? Do you all have these things in your house? You got these letters up on a bookshelf somewhere that says believe? Or maybe you got a big thing that says faith? You know, lots of people think that's a good thing. That's inspiring. It's helpful. But a lot of people would say, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Uh, I I, kind of have Hindu inclinations. I kind of, you know, I'm into Buddhism and meditation. I have this Zen kind of peace. And, man, faith, trust, believing, that's really important. But that's not what this says. This says trust in the Lord. Not some generic God. This is actually the personal name for God. Trust in Yahweh, the real relational God who called a nation out of slavery, uh, uh, called Israel out of slavery. Trust in the Lord. Now, here's the, uh, the contrast and the challenge. You're supposed to do it with all your heart. Do you see that that's an entire commitment? All of your heart. Did y'all see the Pixar movie Inside Outside? The little kid, the parents, and inside the heads of the people, there's this control panel that controls everything. That's what your heart is. Trusting God with your heart is like all those people in that control panel are saying, you need to know God. You need to love God. You need to obey God. You need to serve God. You need to rely on God. That's what this is saying. Trust Him with not a little bit of your heart, but all of your heart. And he says it uh, the same way in the next line. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. He says it again in verse 6. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. Do you see your text here? Trust Him with all your heart. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. All of your heart, all of your ways. This is poetry. It's beautiful. You know what it means to acknowledge God in all your ways? It means to know Him. It means to be aware of His presence. Know Him and be aware of His presence. I think there's a lot of people that identify in some way with Christian churches, in some way with the Christian faith, and they know some stuff about God, but there is not an intimacy. There is not a clarity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the infinite, eternal, real, relational God who came to earth in Jesus Christ and gives us His Holy Spirit to, to commune with this Father and this Son. I think there's a lot of people, and again, we just came from Memphis, Tennessee. It's like the buckle of the Bible belt. Everybody down there's got some kind of church story. But there are so many people right now, we're in the same time zone, so I can say right now, sitting in pews, and they're, yes, yes, but there's no intimacy, there's no passion, there's no thirst to know Him, and to love Him, and to obey Him, and to serve Him. That's not what this father is lovingly saying to his son. Son, I want you to know the Lord. I want you to desire to please the Lord. I want you to trust Him even when you don't have a clue about what's going on in your life. That's what he's talking about here. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Trusting with all your heart, it's an entire commitment. Lean not on your own understanding, it's an exclusive commitment. I'm you need to think about your thinking. And you need to doubt your doubts. Because your tendency is to justify yourself. Your tendency is to think that God's affection for you is based on your performance. And the fact that you have done what you have done, the fact that you have what you have in your past, has made God so angry that He's up there like this, and there's distance, and yeah, you may get to heaven by the skin of your teeth because Jesus died on the cross, but He doesn't like you very much now because you're a sinner and you're a failure, and you're inconsistent. And you may even be pretending right now to be something you aren't, or better than you are. I'm telling you, friends, all of us are not to rely on our own understanding because every single day we're going to forget the free grace of Christ. We're going to forget the fact that our standing is based on the merits of Jesus, and God loves us because we're in Christ. And it is not based on our performance. Yes, it is our duty to obey. Yes, it is our duty to serve Him. Yes, Jesus Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is our holiness. And we're to pursue holiness. But our standing is based on Christ's performance and not on ours. And we have to come back to that, at least I do, all the time. And maybe you need to come back to it right now. The third light here at the end. So we had this concept of faith. We had this uh, challenge of relying on God, the 
personal Trinitarian God of the Bible, not just some generic God, and not on our own understanding. So here's the consequence. If we do that, friends, do you see the end of it? In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. This isn't just about guidance. This isn't just about me knowing, you know, what I'm going to be doing and for my wife especially to know where she's going to be living. It's bigger than that. It's broader than that. He will direct your paths. He'll make your life smooth and straight. Hey, now that doesn't mean everything's going to be hunky-dory all the time. Happiness all the time. Wonderful peace of mind since I found the Lord. I don't know who wrote that. Uh, I think they might have been drinking too much coffee when they wrote that. Because it's not happiness all the time. Sometimes it's hard. Do you see verse 12 and 11? My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent His rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves. It's not always straight and smooth. God brings affliction and adversity into our lives. Why? Because like C.S. Lewis says, Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When everything's going good, we're, our, our inclination is, I, I'm, I got this. You know, me and God are good, but I got this. When things are bad, we come running back. And He knows it. And He wants our fellowship. He wants our intimacy. And that's this idea. Uh, he will make your path straight when you acknowledge Him, when you fellowship with Him. Okay, I don't know. Uh, let me take a couple of minutes here. I said, this text is not hard to understand, but it's super hard to put into practice. Put it into practice. Probably, you know, you guys are very familiar with this text. So let me just say three things, three things that you might do as a result of thinking about this verse today. The first thing it would be very helpful to do is to write this down and memorize it, put it on a card and memorize it or look at it when you're driving around and just think about it. That would be a good thing. What I have been doing lately with this verse as I've been reading the Bible, uh, I've been reading the Gospel of Luke, and I kind of am delighted every time I come to something and Jesus says it, I ask myself, am I leaning on my own understanding or am I trusting in the Lord with all of my heart? And as you, if you read the Bible, you can ask yourself, is this kind of contradicting my thinking and my attitudes and my tendencies? Or is it confirming them? So, do you hear what I'm saying? The first thing I'm saying is, uh, you need to access God's Word. How are you going to trust in the Lord if you don't know what He says? If you're neglecting your Bible, if you're not reading it, if you're not reading it well, if you're not getting anything out of it when you read, I'm suggesting to you that you need to find some help. Which brings me to the second thing. The second thing I would say to you is to talk to God. Read His Word, but then talk to Him. Jesus taught us how to pray the Lord's Prayer. If you pray that, it's like a master class on prayer. It's not long, it's not complicated, but it will direct your mind into the paths of God and the truth of God and away from your own selfish inclinations to make everything always about you and to make sure you're taken care of and you who care less about anybody else. So talking to God in prayer, uh, confessing your sins, uh, talking to Him, praising Him for what He's shown you, etc., now, uh, in this whole talking to God and listening to Him, I would recommend getting some kind of book 
and writing down your own thoughts because when you write down your own thoughts you see how corrupt your faith is you see how weak your faith is you see how distracted you are about all kinds of other stuff another thing I would do is recommend a devotional like this one Paul Tripp New Morning Mercies this is so helpful to me because it pricks my thinking and reminds me uh, that I am inclined not to be thinking about the reality and the relevance of the gospel and then finally uh, you know, if you want to read a book about trusting God, here it is. Jerry Bridges' fantastic book on trusting God. God uh, is sovereign, He is wise, and He is good. So we need the Word of God, we need the Spirit of God, and we need the people of God. Friends, we often don't realize that Christ is all we need until Christ is all we have. You can always look around and see the depravity, but you need to look beyond the depravity and see the sovereignty. And with the sovereignty is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and the gospel. God wants His people to trust Him in the fog where they can't explain why things are the way they are and why he did this and she did that he uses all of that to draw us close to Christ who has become for us wisdom which is to say righteousness holiness and redemption so here's bread and here's a cup and Jesus Christ at one point in time took this bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you friends that did not come from his own inclination that was him obeying the will of his father nevertheless not my will but thine be done. After that supper, he took a cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm not assuming that you're in relationship to Christ through faith. And if you're not the elders of Creekside have instructed me to tell you to just stay in your seats and think more about the death of Christ and your relationship with Him and the necessity of trusting Him through simple faith. That's your job. But if you do know Christ, this is the time to come and take this bread and take this cup and do this in remembrance of the One who came to give His life in a way that made no sense to anybody except for God. This is our opportunity to remember and thank our Lord Jesus Christ, the wisdom, righteousness, holiness, and redemption of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. 
and for your people. At this moment, we hear you exalting your Son, your beloved Son, and we say, without Him, we're lost and can do nothing. But with this great Savior, we can trust you, even in the fog. We worship you. We give you thanks now for this bread and this cup. Amen. Thank you all for coming, and we look forward to seeing you next week.